0: Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and we are coming to you from the halfway point of the Wimbledon Championships. That's right, moving into the second week of our third Grand Slam of the season. Um, Plenty of storylines, as always, to follow. Mike and wanting to begin on the men's side, like we're, we've seen big names fall and yet number one and number two. And I think probably our top two favorites uh, are still uh, there. Nadal and Djokovic.
1: Yeah. Things are looking on track uh, as we sort of expected on, on the men's side, a much more wide open men's side than perhaps we've seen in recent years at Wimbledon and you know lots to talk about both on the court and uh, I don't know unfortunately fortunately depending on how much drama you like uh, serve yeah. with your Grand Slam tennis quite a bit off the court as well to sustain us and, and talk about this week so uh, yeah lots to uh, lots to discuss and um, I don't know where do you want to take it from we're we going to start at the top or what?
0: Yeah, well, let's start at the top end of the draw, and uh, we were, I guess, I I think, discussing last week, are there any danger spots for Novak Djokovic in the opening week? We know how dominant he's been on the grass court surface, particularly at Wimbledon, where he's won it six times, three-time defending champion, and uh, I think we, we pretty prominently learned he was going to come through pretty unscathed in the opening week. And I felt like his level has really gone up after sort of a tricky first win against uh, Sun soon who Kwan, who, who is a talented player, uh, the way he played against Kokonakis, Kekmanovich winning very, very comfortably only dropped uh, seven, seven service games in both those matches, really impressive. And then, you know, the wild card Tim Van Raiden, who kind of burst on the scene the other week with his surprise title run, um, he uh, in in sorry, pardon me at Hertogenbosch. That name is always tricky. Uh, did steal the second set, but then Novak just completely taking over in the third and the fourth, and uh, rightfully into the quarterfinals. This stat I love. He's now won eighty matches or more at all four majors. The only man or woman to accomplish that in the Open era. So that's obviously such a testament to his consistency across all four slams.
1: Who keeps track of these stats? I mean, come on, honestly, at some point, where do you keep coming up with these new stats in terms right. of what these these all-time greats have accomplished? So kudos whoever found that one. I mean, very impressive. I'm not trying to take away. And and from Djokovic's play, I mean, a set in the first round, a set in his most recent as we're sitting here recording on, uh, on Sunday night. Um, but considering he didn't play any grass court tournaments coming in, um, I think things are progressing pretty well for him. And, uh, you know, next round matchup, quarterfinals against Yannick Sinner, who maybe surprisingly took out Carlos Alcaraz. I'm not really sure what we expected from Alcaraz coming in, given the fact that he was coming in a little bit hurt um, and doesn't have as much grass court experience as well as as some of the other players. But uh, you look at this draw in the top half and you got to like how things are shaping up for Novak Djokovic. And, you know, with that celebration, with the, uh, you know, the 100th anniversary of center court play at Wimbledon, Novak being out there to see all the greats coming out. And he is certainly among those greats with uh, the number of times he's won this tournament, who knows how many more times he'll win it as well. Uh, He's got that sense of history. And I think a moment like that of being surrounded by fellow great tennis players is just going to remind him as if he needs the reminder of, of he is chasing history. He's going for grand slam 21 to get a little bit closer to Rafa and, uh, and he's in a prime position to make that happen over the next week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's in a great spot. I'm definitely intrigued by that quarterfinal, um, you know, Yannick Sinner, he's had such a phenomenal career to this point. He's still just 20 years old. And I feel like we sort of lost track of him over the last few months. Part of that was obviously the incredible emergence of Carlos Alcaraz, who was sort of stealing the headlines very rightfully. So, I mean, when you're winning the Miami open, when you're winning in Rio, when you're taking out Nadal and Djokovic on clay and winning Madrid, you're worthy of all, all the headlines in our sport, but, uh, I think maybe we lost track of how great a talent Sinner is. And very impressive. He's just 20 years old and he's made quarters now in Australia at the French and now at Wimbledon. So three of the four majors, he's already uh, played himself into the final eight. He was at the quarters of the Australian Open earlier this season. So he's obviously incredibly solid, consistent. And I think the way he moves on the grass, he could provide some trouble trouble to Novak. I, I think maybe Djokovic is the best mover on this surface, but Sinner is incredibly impressive on, on grass as well.
1: And overall... That's- I feel like some trouble, but I don't sense a lot of trouble coming. Okay. Uh, and, and Sinner, I think the reason he's kind of off the radar a little bit for us this year is he's he's made a lot of quarterfinals, but he hasn't had a, a real deep run. He hasn't right. uh, hoisted a, a tournament, a tri- trophy yet this year, as far as I can see. Um, and, and so, I mean, look, he's a prospective number one moving forward at some point in his career. He's going to be in the mix for sure, you'd think, given his young age already in the top 10 presence. Um but uh, yeah, well, I think he's probably out of Goffey and, and Cam Nori and the remaining guys in the uh, top half of the draw would probably be the one that Djokovic might uh, have the most trouble with. I, I don't foresee a lot. And even if you look at the bottom half of the draw, um, I mean, other than Nadal and Kyrgios, who we'll talk to shortly, um, I don't see anyone here getting getting under Djokovic's skin. Um, to me, he's he's going to be in the finals and we'll see who awaits him there.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's fair. And, and credit to Cam Norrie; he's playing great tennis. Honestly, I, I thought he had an awesome week. Kind of got through a tough five-setter against Munar, the Spaniard, but since then, it's been really on fire. Like beat Stevie Johnson six-four-six-one-six 6'1", 6'1". love takes out another American and Tommy Paul in straight sets. And I, I feel like his lefty game, which is quite a bit different than the way Nadal plays, uh, as a fellow lefty, nor he's, uh, a bit different stylistically. He causes problems for a lot of players, his unusual flat backhand on this surface. I, I think he has a great chance to make that semifinal against Goffin. Who's, uh, obviously a veteran and, uh, Credit to him making the quarters, getting a big win over Francis Tiafoe. But um, if if we go down to the bottom half of the draw, obviously storyline for Nadal coming in. He's won the first two slams of the season. The calendar slam is on the table, of course, for the first time ever for him. And I thought maybe kind of shaky in that first match against Serendolo, who pushed him. But since then, he's looked really, really sharp, particularly against Lorenzo S- uh, Senego. And I think... You know, we, we don't want to be biased here, but I, I think he has a pretty clear path to the final as well, uh, unless we bring Kyrgios into the conversation.
1: Well, we're going to have to bring Kyrgios in the conversation. I think that goes without saying. And, uh, you know, I'm not a, a big Kyrgios fan. I'll be the first to say that. Don't like the attitude. Do agree with CC Pass that he's a bully but he's an amazing grass court player and he's an amazing tennis player when he wants to be. And uh, he seems fired up here and he's got a good looking draw to get to the semis as well, which may be his downfall that it looks too good that now he's in the position of sort of seeming like the favorite for his next couple of matches. Um, But he's troubled Nadal and he's troubled Djokovic in the, in the past. So we'll see if, if he gets to that point, but to focus on Nadal for right now, first and foremost, he really senses the opportunity he has to, perhaps for the first time in his career, contend for the, the calendar slam, should he win Wimbledon and head into the U.S. Open, holding all three so far in 2022. And, you know, we've heard he's taking extra precautions around the ground uh, in terms of wearing the mask, having his entourage wear the mask, keep distance from people and not take any chances, because we've seen other players like Chilich and Berrettini forced to withdraw because of COVID exposure or, or coming down with COVID. And, and he senses the importance of this. And and I think his little, I'm not going to call it an altercation, but his conversation at the net with Senego the other day, and I'll let you get into that a little bit in a moment here. I think part of that stems from the fact that he realizes how much is on the line, and he's just maybe got that extra sense of, of heightened anticipation for what he's on the cusp of achieving and maybe making him a little little edgy, sort of politely edgy, if you can call it that, in terms of how he handled that moment the other day.
0: Yeah, look, I, I think you explained that well and well politely edgy. Um, but it, it is rare that we see Rafa sort of kind of agitated uh, in, in that sense. And he really doesn't, he's not a guy who has run-ins with other players, right? Um, we'll get to Kyrios and Sitsipas, which is, uh, you know, this times a hundred, I would say. But uh, look, Lorenzo Sinego is a big hitter. He's got a powerful forehand. And sometimes he he lets you know vocally and, He's got one of the louder grunts on the tour and it's sort of that sustained grunt. And look, I, I don't want to get in like to a debate of is grunting okay or not. I think firmly it is okay. We've accepted grunting in this sport. You know, when I'm on the competitive tennis court, sometimes sometimes grunts come out. I'm not even thinking about it. It just flows out of you, especially in the heat of heat of the battle. Senegos sometimes let lets that grunt linger a little too long. And that seemed to be the source of Rafa's frustration that, that he's grunting kind of after he hits hits the shot. It's almost to the point where he's hearing the grunt um, as you know, Rafa's hearing the grunt as he's about to make impact. And so he took, takes issue with it in that third set when he gets broken back, you can't really go and complain to your opponent about an issue you have though. If you, if there's, if there's this type, type of problem where you feel there's a hindrance, you got to go to the chair umpire. So that was a rare mistake from Rafa. He owned it uh, right after the match and then impressed. He said, uh, I, I have to apologize. I've made a mistake. Uh, Senego was clearly unhappy and said it unsettled him. At the same time, you look at the scoreline, first two sets, 6-1, 6-2. Was Senego ever really winning this match? I don't think so.
1: Hey, a couple of things with grunts. First of all, I thought for a moment there you were going to go ahead and do a little imitation of the grunt, the way you were <laughs> I about it. it. I, I was wondering what was coming next, but uh, I wonder if we should do like a you know like a taste test, like a blind taste test. We could do like a blind grunt test and put out a few grunts and see if our listeners can uh, you know come up with some sort of prize for that. Something that sure. just came to my mind that we can. Oh, tennis about, t- tennis TV
0: already did that by the way a couple
1: of years ago. Oh, they had a well, s- they had on, a segment
0: with other players guess the grunt. But anyway, continue, continue. And I
1: mean, I I grunt quite often when I. Play play more so because I'm just you know tired out there at, right. uh, at my older age um, I don't grunt when I play my eight-year-old or six-year-old kids <laughs> but uh, you know they're in certain settings when I'm pushed to my limits it comes out um, but what I want to say about this Nadal one is uh, yeah I didn't think it was really cool on Nadal's part you're like the greatest player of all time and here you are in a match that you're going to comfortably probably win anyways What what's the point of calling him to the I, I think in Nadal's mind he was doing it in a you know, in a nice kind of way in his mind. But really, yeah, yeah you, as you mentioned, you go through the umpire with something like that. And, uh, you know, some fans pointed out that he had that moment with Shapovalov at the Aussie Open, but that was a different circumstance, right? Shapo was rattled. Yeah. And I think Nadal was just trying to calm him down. And And remember when he kind of put his hand on Shapo? And like, a, <laughs> calm down, my son. It's going to be yes. okay. You know, you've got a long career ahead of you. You don't need to lose your focus here. Uh, this was definitely different. But uh, mm-hmm. again, I think it's kind of coming from the fact that Nadal senses the the magnitude of this opportunity
0: yeah and he he definitely didn't want to find himself in in an unnecessary fourth set still still battling out there with with Sinego and turning a match that was comfortable into to one that was challenging uh so and he owned the mistake as I said I I think we're probably going to brush past this controversy pretty quickly and Nadal in the round of 16 you look at the draw here uh, Bodig van de Zanskulp nice player I'll be quite surprised if he can trouble Rafa, to be honest. Taylor Fritz, of course, he beat Nadal earlier in the season, won that big title at Indian Wells. He could be someone in the mix to cause trouble. I'm not sure I'm buying it. The the name, though, I I have to look at, as you mentioned, is is Nick Kyrgios, and we should get to that match that he played with Stefano Tsitsipas. Kyrgios advances in four sets. He's been playing incredible tennis uh, through the week at Wimbledon after a tough first rounder um, polishes off Krainovich in, in three sets and then defeats Pass again on the grass. But it, it's like, we can never talk about his matches without getting into the antics. And I, I referred to it in my Sportsnet article as boorish behavior, because you know, how, how else would one describe it? And it, it feels nonstop. And it, it seems like, are we, are we meant to believe he's the only player on the planet that never gets a fair shake?
1: Yeah, boorish, there's a word you don't hear every day. So good for you for sneaking that one in there. Um, He's so polarizing. And I don't just mean like in the tennis community and fans in general, but even for me, like he's polarizing in my own mind because Mm -hmm. I I, I like players who speak their mind, but but I don't like players who do it in a way that degrades or demeans your, your fellow competitor or opponent. You know, it was his interview with Ben Rothenberg a couple of years ago where he slandered, like, all of the big three in one mm-hmm. chat, I feel like, especially yep. Nadal and Djokovic. Uh, not cool with that. You haven't earned the right to do that. And and even if you were on par with them, how could you, you know, put a target on on the two of them? I, oh, come on, give me a break. And then yeah, here we are, and he, he just can't help it. He just can't help to do these, these types of things. And there is good to him. Uh, you know, I see the way he interacts with fans. Uh, here in Toronto over the years in practice sessions, having fans come out onto the court to hit with him, signing right. more autographs than most players. Like He's got a very good side to him. He he definitely sees the marketing side to being a professional athlete. And he realizes the position tennis is in vis-a-vis the other major sports that are out there and, and the, the, you know, the lag and the gap that exists there. And so he is, I think in his mind, trying to do things that he believes is going to market the sport and, and get it out there more. Um, but, but I don't think he's necessarily doing the best thing for tennis. I think he's doing something that's, you know, out there grabbing headlines, um, causing distractions, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. Just because people are talking about you on the nightly sports casting report doesn't mean that's good for the sport as a whole. And I don't think tennis fans for the most part, maybe I'm wrong, are attracted to that kind of behavior in the sport.
0: Well, certainly uh, I think a large sect of tennis fans are not uh, given probably the tradition of the sport. And and if you're someone, you know, from this generation or, or the past sort of 20 plus years, who's say fallen in love with a Roger Federer, who we maybe use the words elegance and grace to describe his style on the court, or Rafael Nadal, who's probably known to be such a humble champion, Um you, you probably don't find yourself relating to Nick Kyrgios and his outlandish behavior and just screaming loud obscenities and getting into verbal spats with and altercations with fans. Although he interacts with fans who, who like him, as you said, at practice courts and he, and he signs autographs for kids. And then we see him spitting in the direction of a fan who, I guess, said something to him that bothers him, which is, of course, in terrible taste. Boss had a lot of problems with his behavior in this third round encounter as well. We can't gloss over that. Um, he hit a ball. Uh, right into the crowd. He's very fortunate it didn't hit someone. I, I think if it hits a fan and that fan is injured, or even if it just hits a fan, that probably could have been an automatic default. That was, of course, the source of a lot of the argument that Curios was having with Cherumpire. Uh, but I, I think he was really mentally rattled and unnerved with what was going on on the other side of the court. And that's a, a lot of what he discussed in his post-match press conference.
1: Yeah. And look, I'd be rattled too if I was playing against a guy who was, you know, doing the things that Kyrios does out there, not to justify the ball into the stands, which by the way, seems to be happening a lot more these days. I don't know why it just seems to be like multiple players and, uh, you know, is tennis can end up like hockey where you're going to need like netting around the court to protect (laughs) spectators from these uh, players that can't control themselves. Yeah, Um, And and I mean, to me, you know, uh, one last comment on Kyrios, like, He's not the first player to come across as a jerk on the court, like Connors, McEnroe. But to me, you know, maybe part of the difference there is Connors and McEnroe were, were champions; they were Grand Slam champions, multiple time champions. I'm not saying that allows you and that justifies that type of behavior, but Kyrgios hasn't won anything major. He's only advanced to the quarterfinals of a Slam uh, what a couple times, 2014, 2015. One of them being at Wimbledon. Uh, I, I just don't feel he's at a, you know a platform where you can, you know, try and balance out any of the behavior. It's not like it's motivating him to go out there and achieve greatness like a Connors or a McEnroe. And so it's just not, it doesn't seem like it's successful even at propelling him to the heights of the sport where you think a player of his talent should be. Um, That being said, I I would like to see him get to the semifinals to play in Nadal, uh, you know, who he's three and six against. But that's not a bad record against a guy like Rafa Nadal. And even the ones he's lost to Nadal, many of them have been quite close. So um, I, I would like to see that kind of a match. So wh- what does that say? Am I contradicting myself in terms of, you know, how I feel about him? Well, I said off the top, he's polarized even in my own head. So we'll see what happens. But I think this is a great opportunity for him. Now, does he see this opportunity and say, OK, maybe I should try and tone it down? Or does he just amp it up even more because it seems to be working for him so far?
0: Yeah, and you, you look at the names, as you said, in that section right now, Brandon Nakashima, uh, you wouldn't really consider someone who's a major threat. Alex Dimenauer, Christian Guerin, uh, again, Nick Kyrgios should be outclassing the both of them on a grass court surface. So you'd say like this is a really nice path to, to reach a semifinal for Kyrgios, which would be a first in his career in singles. And yeah, look selfishly. I want to see that Nadal Curios showdown in the semis as well. And they've had a couple great ones in slams as well. 2020 Australia four sets, 2019 Wimbledon, which was very testy and heated with Curios smoking a couple balls at Rafa when he was at net. That was a real run-in. I think their relationship is fine now, from my understanding. But uh, they've had some very intriguing matchups in the past, so yeah, selfishly as the tennis fan, I, I want to see that a- as well. Before we get to the women's side just uh, quickly on the Canadians um, look just just disappointing tournament overall obviously Felix Ojeali you seem I was nervous about this draw when it came out seeing uh, big serve and volleyer Maxim Cressy as his first round opponent and I have to say like Felix did not do a whole lot wrong in that match I felt like Cressy probably played the best slam match of his career and just kind of put on this serving clinic and In a a grass court slam match against someone like that where the margins are so slim, you make one little mistake and you can lose that match. He had a double fault in that third set, which cost him there. And then then he fell. And and then Denis Shapovalov, thankfully, ends his losing skid, I will say, winning in the first round, but then out to Brandon Nakashima. So so overall disappointment for the men uh, for the Canadian men, of course.
1: Yeah, disappointing, especially considering how well they did a year ago Wimbledon. Both players having such a great experience there. Quarterfinals for Felix and semis for Chapo.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: like you said, at least Chapo snapped his losing streak. But to me, then, you know, there's no momentum from that. He doesn't build upon that. And I really think, you know, hopefully with hard courts coming up, that's a chance for him to reset and get uh, back on track because it's been just kind of abysmal the last couple of months, obviously, for Chapo. Yeah. I really think, and, you know, we can discuss this at length in a future episode, but I think he's got to go out and get an established coach. Um, you know, someone who's either had the experience as a player like Mikel usually had for a while. Uh, didn't work out with Delgado. You thought that was going to work out better given Delgado's great run with with Andy Murray and other players. Uh, I, I really think chapel has got to go out and get somebody who's either a former player with a, tr- a good track record or someone with a high pedigree as a coach as well. For Felix, I think you you nailed it. You know, he came up against a hot opponent. Uh, He had his moments. It was really disappointing to see the double fault, which was, I think, to close out the third set tiebreak, if I remember correctly. I mean, that just rips your heart out. You just sink down after that. That's just just you can't build off of that. You can't feel anything positive ending a set in that way. Um, And so that's disappointing. But overall, Felix has had some really good sustained stretches this year. I'm excited to see what he can do on the hard courts and. You know Montreal is coming up pretty soon for these guys, and for Felix being back at home, and for Chapo having great memories from a few years ago with that victory over Nadal. Uh, you know, hopefully that can conjure up some good things as well for them. Um, one thing on the men's side to sort of end on for me, anyways, is seeing Roger Federer step out onto court for that hundredth anniversary um, sort of celebration. And it really made me feel weird. It was great to see the reaction, which is exactly what you would expect. People giving him a standing ovation, a, a prolonged uh, a round of applause. But it was strange for me to see him in Civy's clothing, stepping out on court, especially the contrast between Nadal, who's in his tennis getup, and Roger, who's there in his shirt tie and blazer. And uh, it, to me, it was like, whoa, I'm not ready to see this yet. And I hope this doesn't give Roger a taste of what it's like on the other side. Uh, Because I do want to see him come back and have one last go at Wimbledon being healthy. And I do think, and I don't care that he's turned 41 later this summer, I still think he can be a threat there. I still think he can make it to the quarters, possibly beyond with a good draw. And and if he's got some match play under his belt in 2023. um, But it, it was an eerie feeling seeing him on court dressed that way.
0: I I agree. And I, am glad he almost acknowledged that he he felt it was a little strange to be in a suit. Well, uh, some fellow competitors like, you know, Rafa Novak are there, uh, and so on. And he acknowledged to the crowd and he got a massive ovation, by the way, when he went out there, he acknowledged he, he really wants to play it one more time. My, my feeling is 2023 could be his final season and, uh, he has to play Wimbledon one more time. Let's just hope he's, he's healthy at this point next year.
1: We're in agreement on that. Uh, Hey, let's flip over to the women's side of things. And I want to start with um, and and just talk about this quickly. She's still in the tournament. Gabby Dabrowski for Canada. Mm -hmm. Once again, the last Canadian standing as she was at the French Open as well in Paris. And uh, unfortunately, out in the doubles with Juliana Almost, They went down in straight sets to Collins and Krawczyk from the United States in the round of 16, which was uh, not as far as she would have liked to go and not as far as their third seed would have, you know, lended expectation still alive in mixed doubles as we record this uh, and in the quarterfinals against uh, Pavic and Mirza. So uh, that should be a good one uh, for Canadian tennis fans still looking to support one of their own. And hopefully we can see that on, on TSN, if not on TV, on their online streaming app, because uh, you do want to see Canadians in that place and, and for others to, to watch them play, doubles, singles, whatever the case may be. Uh, big story, I guess, from the first week is the fact that uh, world number one, Igas Fiontech, did not uh, continue her incredible streak. It did come to an end at the hands of, and not totally unsurprising, a crafty veteran like Alize Cornet.
0: Alize Cornet has has so many big wins in her career. She's she's memorably beaten, toppled Serena Williams on a on a few occasions, in, including I think she beat her. Um, did she beat her in Wimbledon a, as 2014, well? 2014 Wimbledon. Wow there you go uh so so she she can be a giant killer and and she's proven her worth as uh one of the just healthiest steadiest veterans we've had uh i think closing in on the record for most consecutive grand slam appearances ever it's over 60 i want to say 62 something like that which is just astonishing she had a great run in australia earlier this season uh i love the way she competes and plays she's clearly such a nice person as well and um Iga, very good to just take this one on the chin and, and smile. I, I think she knows how much she's accomplished. She was aware like that she still has to learn that surface, uh, which, you know, Cornet is a veteran, uh, clearly is very adept on the grass. And, and Iga, 37 consecutive matches, breaks Venus's record from 2000, which was the previous longest streak. Uh, what, six WTA titles in that span, a second French Open. I, I mean, an incredibly worthy world number one. What
1: can you say? It had to end at some point. Right. And previous longest streak in the 21st century, we should add, because Navratilova, um, Chris Everett, and I think Steffi Graf all had crazy like 60 yes. plus win streaks yep. back in their day. Uh, mm-hmm. But in recent times, quite impressive. And, uh, you know, Corne, 32 years old, she's still got quite a ways to go in terms of extending that Grand Slam streak. And uh, she's in, in the top 40 and obviously rising with this result as well. So you'd like to see that. Unfortunately, um, not
0: rising because no points. Oh,
1: of course, the, re- <laughs> yes. the reminder. But so, no annoying. points. All right, we won't get back on that, but you're right. Anyway. Thanks for the reminder. Um, Serena Williams back in action as well and uh, sort of a mixed bag. Nice to see her back. I don't know what your take was on her first round match. I found it very rusty and very difficult to watch at times in terms of some of the misses that were there. Uh, obviously, rusty, lack of match play. Who knows even how long she's been practicing, uh, but tough to watch a great champion like that. Far from their best, in my opinion.
0: It was difficult I think just to to play a match like that in your first match back. I mean, she had the doubles lead in, but to to be, you know, out on center court in a grueling 3-hour battle with someone like Harmony Tan who evidently had a, an intelligent strategy and tactic going in and that she was just going to push and extend rallies. And if you're playing someone who's 40 years old making their first return to the tour in over a year, Absolutely. Great strategy. Uh, Harmony Tan, I think, decided from the get go, she wasn't going to be the aggressor. She was just trying to kind of try and force the issue from Serena, make her hit more and more and more. And you could see her kind of fizzling out physically by, by the end of that third set, specifically in the 10 point time break where there was just nothing left. And Serena, yeah, I think she left it all on the court. You, you just wish maybe there could have been something a little more straightforward in the first round to maybe get her going. But uh, as someone highlighted, a commentator pointed out, I don't think the rest of the tour fears her anymore, uh, which is a big factor. She doesn't have the intimidation factor that she once had.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not for lack of effort. That's for sure. And great to see her back out there, but I think coming back uh, at a slam, for your first singles match in a year is quite bold. Uh, I mean, what the mind thinks you can still do and accomplish in your confidence is different from what the body is, is lacking here in terms of the repetition, both in practice and gameplay. And mm-hmm. so I think she needs more match play. I don't personally think that a pick and choose kind of schedule is going to work for Serena moving forward if she wants to contend for another major. I think she's got to come back and play, yeah, not a week in and week out schedule with her family life and her age keeping in mind. But I think she's got to play semi-regularly. Like, I think if you want to contend at the U.S. Open, you've got to play either Toronto or Cincinnati, or maybe both, depending on how the first one goes. And you've got to get into a rhythm because that lack of match play is, uh, you know, partly what was her undoing, I think, in that first round match. Yeah, no, I
0: I definitely agree. And and now uh, we have... A very open draw, of course, on the women's side. I, I don't know who you're favoring right now. I have to look at Anja Burr, She's playing fantastic. She's coming off the title leading in. Another name that I definitely think is a threat, Simona Halep, 2019 champion. The new partnership with Patrick Moradoglu, I, I think starting to pay dividends. She's looked very confident, hasn't dropped a set yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I said at the start of the tournament, I thought a veteran was going to win, but I was thinking more along the lines of Kerber, Kvitova. We mentioned Pliskova. Mm-hmm. None of them have made it to week two. So maybe a Simona Halep can save my veteran prediction. Uh, but she's up against a very informed Paula Bedosa. And I think if Bedosa can beat Halep on grass, that's going to do wonders for her confidence moving forward. Uh, Amanda Nistimova, I know I saw in our, our pre-match notes that you also had her down there as a dangerous player at this point, getting through yep. Coco Gauff. Um, and a young talent on the women's tour as well. Uh, but Jabur, I think in terms of just recent play, she's uh, well-deserving of the number two ranking and, and just come so far over the past year. Um, I think she is, uh, yeah, the, the favorite at this point, uh, certainly in the top half to make the finals. It's going to be wide open. I love it. I think it's terrific. Um, I wish we had a Canadian in there in singles to talk about. Let's just mention briefly Bianca Andreescu, what we made of her. I think if she would gotten by uh, Rebecca, I think it, it really could have done wonders for her, uh, especially in that section of the draw. I think that could have really launched her to having a, a good second week run potentially at Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, but still needing a little bit more match play to get back to her you know, former uh, type of level of play.
0: Yeah, I I think she would probably be in the same spot that Rabakina finds herself in now in in the round of 16 uh, about to face Petra Martic. Bianca got the first round win, which was good. She had never won an opening round match at Wimbledon, so nice to get. Surprisingly, eh? Shockingly really. Quite surprisingly. So to notch that on the belt, that's great. Rabakina is an impressive, tall athletic player and I I thought she served very well against Andrescu, who um, got maybe a little flat-footed at times on the grass, especially in that first week you're trying to find your footing and it's so difficult when someone's serving uh that quality so it was a tough draw she's had two tough draws in her in a row at slams Belinda Bencic second round of the French and, and now Rabakina who honestly with her draw has a shot probably to make the semis here
1: so what's going to happen when you're unseated right you're going to be facing these top players sooner than you'd like to and uh, you may have to go and play some 250 type tournaments and and win those in order to get your ranking back to where it can be seated to uh, have a little bit more of an advantage when it comes to these big tournaments. Um, Want to mention a couple of things before we wrap up. Uh, Venus Williams, why don't we end with her in terms of the women's side of things. So great to see her back uh, at Wimbledon. And this was a last minute decision, kind of got the itch while she was over there watching her sister back on the court, which I think is cool. Obviously, Wimbledon's going to give her that wild card in mixed doubles where she's playing with Jamie Murray and uh, 42 years old and still out there. And I mean, I think she could play into her 50s in terms of doubles, anyways. Um, and I think maybe singles. I don't know if we'll see her back or not. I'm not sure what your take is in, in terms of how likely that might be. But doubles, anyways, I think it'd be cool if she came out of the Slams and just played those.
0: Yeah, look, uh unbelievable competitors still and her and Jamie Murray winning that that opening uh match, eventually getting to the round of 16, and they played a 34-point. Tiebreaker, by the way, in that final set um, in their loss to uh, Barnett and Omara, uh, the the Australian team, or pardon me, I believe the British team. But what what an iconic battle to play a thirty four cent tiebreaker. Even if you're doing that in doubles, that's I think a tes- testament to your competitive spirit. That she wanted it so bad. I know there was a video trending, well, not trending, it was shared of her kind of letting out a big war cry scream after they won a big point. So she still has that that huge competitive itch and and really wants to stay out there and compete as as long as you can.
1: And as we wrap up our midweek Wimbledon episode, we do so uh, with exciting news that we are giving away a pair of tickets to this summer's national bank open in Toronto, uh, courtesy of tennis Canada. And uh, this is to the Tuesday, August 9th evening session, which is going to be extra special because it's going to be Bianca Andreescu's opening match, her return to the tournament that she won in 2019, which was one of the most memorable moments in Canadian tennis history. And uh, we had quite a few people who put their names in this week. Uh, We thank you very much uh, for that. Ben's going to announce another giveaway coming up this week that's Bianca related. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this week, our winner goes to Martina, who reached out to us via Twitter. Uh, Congratulations, Martina. You and a friend will be enjoying uh, the action uh, live here in Toronto Tuesday, August 9th. And uh, Ben and I will be in touch this week about how you can claim your tickets. So congratulations. And thanks to all those who uh, participated as well this week.
0: Yeah. And uh, please participate in our next giveaway, which I will share now. We'll continue the theme of a Bianca Andrescu giveaway. We know all about her book, B.B. Scott Game, which is a great story about, uh, of course, her life in tennis, meditation, and her dog named Coco. You have a chance to win her book, to enter this week's contest, simply retweet our episode on Twitter, or you can also share the episode on Instagram. So two methods uh, of entering for
1: a chance at uh, BB's Got Game. And I'll tell you, I've read the book. Uh, I did read a copy, my copy, uh, not mm-hmm. the one we're sending out, but read a copy to uh, my three kids, and they really enjoyed it. They're getting into tennis. They've been enjoying the Wimbledon highlights in the mornings as they're having their uh, their breakfast cereal. So, uh, great book, great illustrations, and uh, you know, written by Bianca Andrescu too, which is really cool. It's mm-hmm. not just a book about her, but it's a book that she yes. co-authored. And uh, want to say big thanks to Maria Andrescu, uh, Bianca's mom who hooked us up with uh, a few copies, actually. So we will be having a couple of giveaways between now and the National Bank Open to give this fantastic children's book away. Uh, thanks to the Andrescu family for that.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, please check in every week, not only to, to listen to our episode, of course, uh, but check in for for more giveaways. Uh, there will be more tickets and chances to, to win prizes, all the great contests. Guys, you've been listening to Point Canada. We will talk to you next time.